Welcome back to the next episode of the Sunday Stash. I'm here with episode number 20, and um, it's been quite some time since I did one. Uh, multitude of reasons. Uh, the first reason that I didn't do anything was because, uh, I guess it was two weeks ago, um, I had a uh, person that I work with get uh, come in contact with somebody who was um, COVID positive and I had to shift things around and I ended up having to work the weekend. So I didn't really get an opportunity to do any, any research or anything like that. Um, and in addition to that, um, that same weekend, my uh, girlfriend had come to visit me and then the following weekend, which was, uh, I think it was President's Day weekend, I had gone and to see her. And then also this past weekend, um, my girlfriend had actually come up to see me again. Um, so I didn't really get an opportunity to really sit down and, uh, and go through anything. So I will be doing a little bit of catching up with everything. So I don't really have a lot of topics for this week. Um, there are a few things that I do intend on talking about. Uh, I've only got four of them. So as I get some news from the past couple of weeks, uh, so that'll actually be a few different topics in there. Um, I want to talk about uh, international soccer, uh, Champions League stuff. Um, obviously, I can't forget about Trump's impeachment trial because that all happened in the time that I was gone. And then in addition to that, there has been some recent political hypocrisy slash double standards that have gone on that I do want to, uh, I do want to mention because I think that it's relevant. Um, so anyway, uh, we'll go start off with the first topic, the, the news of the week. Um, there's a couple of different topics in here. I say of the week, but it should be the last two, last two to three weeks. Um, you know, and I will end up probably picking up some of these topics and, and going into a little bit more depth on them, probably in some later episodes, maybe some stuff that I don't really cover, or maybe some things that, uh, you know, developments and stuff happen as time goes. So uh, the first one, I'm not going to go into this one really deep because it's still a developing story. Um, on February 1st, there was a, a coup that started in the, uh, by the military in Myanmar, um, I guess formerly known as Burma. I'm not exactly sure how long ago it was known as that. Uh, so anyway, Myanmar is in uh, South Asia. It's uh, near Laos, uh, Thailand, uh, Vietnam, kind of in that, in that same general vicinity. Um, yeah, I, honestly, I, 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 the reality of this is, is that I don't think many Americans even know about this country. Uh, one, know that it exists. Um, or two, uh, most Americans probably don't even care that, uh, anything is even going on over there. Um, I think that that is, it is an important event. Um, anytime there is a, a, a coup happening, uh, I think it's something to pay attention to. Um, but like I said, that is an ongoing event. Um, so it's not something that I'm necessarily going to, uh, cover and, and talk much about currently. Um, also on February 1st, we, as a, as the world passed 100 million vaccinations, uh, worldwide. And then on February 20th, so 20 days later, we actually passed 200 million worldwide. So I have, I think that the, you know, as, uh, the vaccine kind of rolls out and everything like that, it's starting to uh, really ramp up in, in the amount of uh, people that are getting it. Um, now, with that being said, 
uh, around, and this is what I was able to find as far as country uh, breakdown. I'm not actually going to go into the breakdown necessarily, but just for the United States, um, around 60 million of those have been given in uh, in the U.S. and you know, and as I've I've mentioned before, um, and kind of just goes back to the the issue with Myanmar. Um, you know, 60 million vaccinations have happened in the United States, and and that really kind of shows you the level of care that most Americans have and about the rest of the world. Um, you know, we've done 60, you know, by far, we're the highest, not the highest percentage. Uh, I think Israel might be the highest percentage. Israel and the UAE are getting up there in their percentage, but they have a low population. So it would be much easier to get uh, a lot of the low population countries done first than these higher population countries, but uh, predominantly uh, higher in the United States and in the UK. So um, I say this only because uh, I think far too hot, far too often people in the U.S. do one of two, well, not one of two things, but they usually do two things. You know, we com- uh, we we complain about our situation in life and like how little we have, and we and we bitch and moan about. Obviously, right now in the U.S., everything everybody's bitching about uh, fifteen dollars an hour, right? About not making enough money, about how people are making me go to work uh, and stuff like that. And and most of the, most Americans don't really uh, have the perspective to know that um, life could be and usually and for many many people in this world is far worse, right? Now the other thing um, we usually do is we completely forget and look past the issue uh, or issues that are all over the world that are happening to people everywhere else in the world, and we completely forget about those. So that we, you know, and, and just basically just complain about problems that are happening um, in the U.S. And and often there's a the comment of first world problems. So, you know, I often use the quote, uh, "I don't really care how much my uh, how my Nikes are made. Uh, I just want my Nikes to continue to cost a hundred dollars a pair. As long as they cost the same, I don't care who makes them. Uh, obviously, that's not my." personal uh, perspective, but I, I feel as though many Americans probably feel that way, you know, and, and that's my way of explaining how people in the U.S. realistically, they don't, they don't really care about the rest of the world. And honestly, you can see that with the, re- the really kind of firsthand. If you go back and you look at the way that Americans reacted to how, you know, all these, uh, you know, the, the personal protective equipment for the pandemic and stuff like that, how everything was made overseas and everything like that. So, you know, it's just, just something to, to pay attention to as Americans and understand that as, as bad as things could be for us, it is likely far worse for people in uh, foreign countries, especially foreign countries in which we exploit to get, um, you know, items and, and things that are, uh, we want to keep cheap. So just something to think about. Uh, moving on, uh, Jeff Bezos is going to be stepping down as the CEO of Amazon. I think it's going to be the, it's going to be later, later in 2021, he's going to be stepping down as the executive and he's going to be taking over the executive chairman of Amazon uh, position. And he's going to pass the CEO position along to a man named Andy Jassy, who 
for the last, uh, well, he's since 97. That's how long he's been with the company. Uh, 25 years, I think it is. He has been uh, with the company and he has been the head of Amazon Web Services, which from what I could find uh, comprises uh, about 40% of all of the cloud market. So Amazon Web Services is uh, huge. Um, You basically can't do much on the internet today without interfacing with something that Amazon touches. Uh, For example, um, I think many people probably don't know that Netflix uses Amazon Web Services, uh, as well as Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, ESPN, you know, and that's just a few of them. I imagine that Andy Jassy will uh, push to have Amazon um, as a, you know, as a whole continue to dominate in in multiple areas. And and this is not going to be the end of Jeff Bezos. He is going to continue to push Amazon to being a huge, huge company. Moving on, uh, February 9th, a joint WHO and China investigation into the source of the COVID-19 outbreak concluded. And I guess they have come to the determination that bats were the likely source of the virus. And, uh, you know, I'm no scientist. And maybe since I am American, um, you know, I don't really trust any of that, the least little bit, uh, personally. Um, I don't really trust any of the information that China puts out. Um, That's me, personally. I'm not telling anybody what to believe. But uh, I don't personally believe them. Um, You know, when you censor your journalists and don't allow them to speak freely in the opposition of the government, um, you know, it's not too far to think that you might take, uh, you know, some specific scientific reports um, generated and then selectively edit things or not allow certain information to get out. So um, one example of this kind of is uh, Jack Ma. He is the founder of Alibaba, and he's the richest man in China. Um, Recently, he disappeared from the public eye, and uh, this was last year sometime, and it was because he, uh, assumingly because he had uh, kind of, uh, his disappearance kind of coincided with his criticism of the uh, financial regulators and the banks in China. So just something to think about um, and, and understand that when you do things like that, it makes it very, very difficult for outsiders to trust the government. Now, with that being said, the U.S. government also does that kind of stuff. Um, so we're not necessarily all that much better. But in a huge, huge caveat to that, you know, we're not, uh, you know, I'm not going to be sent to prison or taken to a re-education camp to be brainwashed into believing what the government wants me to believe. Now, with all of that, I am going to go on a little bit of a tangent here um, and give some background on what is happening over in Western China because I think that it is important for people to know and to understand the reality of, of other things in this world. You know, so for those who don't know, uh, the Chinese government opened these things called re-education camps back around, I think it was about 2017, and it was an effort to change the political thinking of the detainees, uh, their identities, and their religious um, the religious beliefs. Uh, initially, the Communist Chinese Party denied that the camps had existed, and once they basically had no choice 
but to admit that uh, the, no choice they uh, had to admit that the that the camps existed um, and then they camp the camps came out they came out and actually said that the camps were specifically used for uh, uh, to combat terrorism which is uh, I mean obviously it's just a generic uh, generic way of actually labeling a camp and, and justifying your actions. Uh, anybody who's different than you is a terrorist. Um, that's that's a very easy label to throw on somebody, especially if those people don't have a voice. In 2018, a German anthropologist named Adrian Zenz released a paper reporting the forced abortions and forced birth control uh, and sterilizations that were happening in the in that province in western China. Some stats that I was able to find, not necessarily from from that uh, that paper, but some stats that I was able to find, is the birth rate had actually fallen in that province from uh, to twenty four or fell twenty four percent in two thousand and nineteen. So it, that's a total of uh, you know basically one quarter of the total births had fallen. So if they had a hundred births. In 2018, then it was roughly 75 births in uh, 2019. So just a perspective there. One of the more uh, shocking statistics that uh, I was able to find and I wanted to make sure was noted was uh, you know, currently the fact that 80% of the IUD placements took place in that, that particular region, the, the Western China region, um, while that section, that region of China only takes up 1.8% of the population. Now, that's compared to 2014, where only 2.5% uh, of the IUD placements took place in that region. And if you think about that, think about the fact that 25 in 2014, 2.5% of the total IUD placements in China were placed in that region. And in five years, that number has grown to 80%, while only 1.8% of the population is, being, is, is in that region. And that's, in my opinion, an alarming statistic um, to realize that there's something big going on there. Um, now, here in 2021, in January, the U.S. State Department actually declared it a genocide, um, and honestly, which is not enough, and, but it is a, a step in the right direction. Now, a couple of days ago, uh, someone had, had asked Joe Biden about his policy, uh, position on, on any of this, and he kind of, honestly, in I, my opinion, he kind of sidestepped the question and tried to give his best politician non-answer which I, in my opinion, I thought was absolute bullshit. And the fact that he kind of told the the reporter, he was just kind of, he didn't want to like step into, uh, I guess, and, and talk to and talk to the China about any of this stuff because of, um, you know, it's, it's they're a different culture or some, something else like that. And it's like, you literally over here, um, you know, selectively placing IUD placements in one particular ethnic population in your country. The president of the United States doesn't want to say anything to China about it. And at that point, I think we kind of know who Joe Biden owes some favors to. So if he's not going to call anybody out, I kind of know what, where his allegiances lie. Um, 
you know, with the force, forced sterilizations of an ethnic or geographic region, uh, geographic people, uh, you know, they're kind of flirting with some of the same human rights abuses that were forced upon the Jews during the Holocaust. Now, I'm not saying that these are the same, but if we continue to stand, uh, you know, if we continue to stand by and watch uh, millions of people be detained and sterilized, you know, how long will it be before the Chinese government starts to actually kill these people, vice allowing them to, you know, return to, to society as re-educated? So just something to think about. With all of that being said, uh, that's just one of the reasons why I don't believe China when they say they determined that the you know, this level four bio lab um, is not the place that the virus came from. You know, then the second thing is we have the WHO. That's the second organization um, that released this report. Um, that is the, uh, so the organization that, you know, they're, they're supposed to be on the side of, of, of us. They're supposed to be on our side. You know, so the World Health Organization, that's what WHO stands for, um, they didn't really do much in the beginning of this pandemic when they took China's word for it, um, when they said that it was uh, not going to be human-to-human contact. Um, and at the time, it was human-to-human transmission. So, you know, when you knowingly lie um, to cover up things or to help out a friend or something like that, you know, you start to lose credibility. Um, you ruin your credibility. Um, you know, and the, the WHO isn't all bad. Uh, but their purpose is to be the early alert system for the for like worldwide health issues. But they really messed this one up. And I feel like they have lost their credibility to determine the truth on uh, truth in this matter. Uh, I think that somebody else, I think, uh, I think there needs to be another organization to conduct an independent, like legitimate independent investigation. I know that's not going to end up happening because it's China. And they're not going to allow anybody else in. But there does need to be a separate organization that comes in and does this. Um, when you hide a few things and then you get caught in a lie, um, you know, do you all of a sudden become a truth teller? Or maybe you have, you know, something something else to hide. And, uh, you know, you're going to end up continuing to try to cover things up and maybe try to rebuild some of that reputation by covering up other lies. And then... Uh, eventually, if you get caught in those other lies, then you lose all credibility, you know. So it makes it really hard to trust them. Um, the fact that the WHO could not get things right from the beginning and the fact that China can't be trusted, um, you know, re- leads me to distrust both of them and distrust their story that they're telling now. Um, I have always believed that if you are open and honest about the truth, then you should, uh, shouldn't have much to worry about, especially, you know, in the beginning of this pandemic. Uh, no one knew what was going on, and, and doctors were still trying to figure things out. So the easiest thing that the WHO could have done is told the truth, and they didn't. In addition to all that, you know, look at the U.S. and, and look at Dr. Fauci. You know, why is it that the U.S. is having such an issue with mask wearing? Um, you know, you can argue that it's because we're all stupid and, you know, I'm not going to end up, you know, disputing the fact that Americans are fairly dumb um, because I think that we are. But um, in addition to that, uh, 
you know, what feeds that stupidity? Uh, I'd say, honestly, inconsistencies with the message coming from the government. You know, in the beginning, Dr. Fauci came out and said that masks were not needed. You know, and then later on, he said that masks were needed. Um, you know, and you fast forward to now, word has gotten out of people saying that two masks or maybe three masks are needed. So when he lied in the beginning, he ruined his credibility with the American people, especially when the, in the fact that at that point, there was no one that knew who he was. And he basically had zero credibility with the American people to begin with. So when he lied in the beginning, he, he started at zero. He kind of built up some credibility. But the reality of it is, is that no one loves being on the camera more than Dr. Fauci loves being on the camera. In addition to that, you know, when you have politicians making rules that they don't follow, you know, all of those things can ruin your credibility because uh, pe people stop trusting you when you have things to say. Um, you know, with all that, uh, I, I don't trust China. I don't trust the WHO. And I firmly believe neither should the rest of the world. Um, you know, and they both... And honestly, Dr. Fauci have a lot of work to do before any of us can really trust them again. Um, moving on from the China news, um, the Mars rover. Uh, this is not necessarily something I think uh, a lot of people are actually going to care about, only because it's not really all that flashy and it doesn't have anything to do with politics. But it is fairly interesting, though. R the reality is, is that this, Mar this rover is going up to Mars, and it's looking for, for human life. And, oh, not human life, but organic life or something, some, some sort of life up there. You know, and, and I've always thought, it, I think that it would be funny, right? Everybody's looking for this uh, first image of the rover, and it's, uh, it, sh it sends a picture of it on the ground and everything like that. And I, it's just funny when it's, you know, I just think about, like, the first picture that we get back of, you know, this rover looking in the distance or something like that, or something's up close and it, you know, it, it's, we get an image back of it, like giving us the finger or something like that. I just, I just think that that would end up being hilarious. Um, so anyway, the goal of it is to go up there and actually find, uh, you know, maybe proof of ancient, uh, ancient life, something like that. So, uh, the, so the Mars River took off from earth in July of 2020, uh, something that most people probably didn't even think about or know about because everybody was in lockdown at that point. And it took about seven months worth of traveling through space to get there. Um, the live stream actually took place this past Thursday. Uh, I think it was February 18th. Um, and it was actually really cool to, lot, to watch, uh, not only because you get to really, you don't, you don't really get to get to see it land, but you get to see the way that people react. Uh, they give you kind of the, um, the science and stuff behind it. Um, and then you get to see the way that the people in, uh, that worked on this, you know, all the technology, right. They go, they go over all that stuff in this, you know, a couple of hours worth of live streaming and everything like that. They go over all this and then you get to see the reactions of the people who spent years putting this Rover together. Um, all the things that they did, uh, this is their, their this is their shot, um, and, it, and it lands on the it lands on the surface of Mars, and then it sends a picture back. And at that point, you know that the rover itself is okay, and that it made it there. Um, it's just it's wild. It's wild to think um, you spend years of your life putting something together. You have one shot, and everything has to go right. And then all of a sudden, it, it everything comes together, and everything goes perfectly. And it lands, I think it landed exactly where they wanted it to. 
So the rover ended up landing in the Jezero crater on February 18th at 3.55 Eastern time. Uh, that's p.m. Uh, in the afternoon. And it actually has a small like helicopter-style drone in it called Ingenuity. Um, and I think the images from that actually will probably likely be very, very cool. Um, you know, it's only going to fly for like 90 seconds or something like that. But even then, it flies up, kind of gets stable, maybe takes some pictures or something, and, and then lands back down. And we'll, and we'll see what happens with that. Um, you know, I look forward to seeing the images um, because I think that it's going to end up being really, really cool to see what it is that's uh, on this this planet that is so so far away. And uh, honestly, to be honest, I did not I did not know that there were so many rovers prior to Perseverance and, and Curiosity. Like there was one that was up there from the '70s that's uh, that's still kind of uh, I don't think it's actually going around anymore. But like back in the '70s, they ended up having a rover on Mars. So it's pretty crazy to think that um, the technology and stuff existed back then. And then also crazy to think how, how far we have come in technology today. So yeah, honestly, take, go take a look uh, an opportunity to look at uh, some of the, um, the pictures and stuff that old rovers have sent back and uh, do some of the research about the current Mars rover Perseverance because uh, it's really cool stuff. All right, and now my next topic is... It's my uh, international soccer update slash Champions League, and it's pretty much all going to be Champions League stuff because uh, there hasn't really been all that much that has happened other than the implosion of Liverpool. Um, but aside from that, uh, the Champions League, uh, it's the UEFA Champions League. So it, it, the UEFA stands for uh, Union of European Football Associations, and, and honestly, it's one of the it's one of the most prestigious. Uh, competitions and ter- slash tournaments around the world. Um, um, so there's a lot of different competitions that ends up, end up, end up happening. Um, but the champions league, UEFA champions league is probably the best one. Um, you know, the reality of it is, is that, you know, the competition that the United States joins into typically isn't going to end up being all that good. Um, the United States isn't really the best when it comes to soccer. We, uh, t- typically focus on other sports, uh, football, basketball, baseball, stuff like that. So I think that if we focused on soccer, it would, it would take some time, but we would end up developing um, some amazing athletes. But soccer is not where uh, you can end up getting $340 million for a 14-year deal um, like Fernando Tatis Jr. just got with the Padres. So anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, so you got the Champions League going on. And uh, Essentially, the, the, the champion from each country plus uh, a couple a couple of extra teams from that country uh, typically to play in the uh, tournament. So what we've got is uh, some countries end up getting four entries, some get three, and some only get two. Uh, currently, I think it's Spain, England, Italy, and Germany that are given four entries. Uh, France and Portugal, I think, are the two that are given three entries. And then there's a lot that are given to, um, but Russia and uh, the Netherlands uh, as an example of a country that ends up getting two entries. Uh, and, uh, and realistically, all this is based on their country coefficient. So the better your, uh, as, a, as a whole your country does at, at the game um, playing in this tournament, the more your, um, your, your country coefficient increases. So I think right now, because Real Madrid has won they won 17, 18, or no, uh, they won, won 16, 17, and 18. They won three in a row. Um, because they won three in a row, uh, their country coefficient, Spain's is, is near the top. 
Uh, Germany, I think, won last year. Or not, not Germany, but Bayern Munich won last year. So theirs is um, near the top as well. Um, it, it's just the further you get in the tournament, the better you do, the better your teams are, um, the better off your uh, country is going to end up being and being able to put to put more more teams into this uh, particular tournament. So anyway, it, it's played throughout the season. You know, it, basically they do regular league play, they'll do international play, and then they'll also do um, Champions League play. And it just happens. Uh, they schedule it all throughout. I wouldn't. I wouldn't care to be the the, the guy that operates that schedule, but it, because it's probably pretty crazy. Um, so but anyway, throughout the season, and right now we're at the uh, round of 16, it's the knockout phase uh, right now. So this past week, there were four matches. There's uh, RB Leipzig, uh, and they, they lost to Liverpool 2-0. to zero. Um, Then we have Porto and Juventus. Um, they beat Juventus, Porto beat Juventus 2-1. to one. Then we've got Barcelona and PSG. Uh, PSG won four to one, and then there's Sevilla and Borussia Dortmund, which uh, Dortmund ended up winning three to two. Now, with those games, uh, Liverpool beating Leipzig isn't too much of a surprise. Um, Liverpool is a very strong team, although recently they have been uh, honestly getting the snot beat out of them when uh, when it comes to the league play, and ever since they lost their home unbeaten streak, uh, it hasn't really been the same. Um, recently, their losses have come to Brighton, who is 16th in the Premier League, and um, Man City, Leicester City, and then Everton. Everton is who they lost to this past weekend. Um, Leicester City they lost to last weekend. Man City was the weekend or the week prior before that, something like that. So anyway, and, and those three teams are actually near the top of the table, but I'm not too surprised personally that Liverpool won this. They are a strong team. The, they just haven't really been doing all that well in uh, in league play. Uh, moving on, uh, Porto beating Juventus is honestly a little bit surprising to me because I think Ju- Juventus is a very strong team. And, um, you know, the only thing about that is, is right now they're currently fourth in Serie A. So, um, I guess maybe Juventus isn't playing as well as they had been in the past. So just uh, something to look at. Maybe they're not going to end up making it all the way through. Um, I didn't think that Porto was that strong of a team, but I could be wrong. Um, Barcelona is the big surprise to me since they have always been a strong team. I know recently they have been uh, having some issues, but I didn't personally think that PSG was all that strong of a team. Um and I know that they have some big names on their team, like Neymar and Mbappe. They still play in the the French league, which, in my opinion, wasn't really all that strong. Um, you know, and they did also play in the Champions League final last year, and they lost to Bayern Munich. I didn't, never, I didn't really ever think that the the French team or the French league was very strong. Um, you know, last season was also really, really weird with with all the COVID stuff. And everything. So, I mean, I think a lot of teams had trouble making it to the final. Um, and it was really whoever was going to put together the best team um, to do it. So, prior to last year, the last time that a French team had made it to the final of the Champions League was the 2003 and 2004 season. Um, and that was Monaco, and they lost to Porto. You know, there, it's been a while since a, since a French team had made it. Now, with all that being said, um, you know, I personally, I haven't seen 
uh, France, you know, seen the French league as being a powerful league, you know, and honestly, I had looked at the history of this a while ago, and that was kind of the thing that ended up making me determine that either one of two things was happening. Either the French team, French league wasn't very strong, or PSG was just blowing everyone out. And the reality of it was, is that because PSG was blowing everybody out, and then they weren't making it very far in the Champions League, that led me to think that the league itself was not very strong. Now, if we look at last year, so the 2019-2020 season, they won by 12 points, and they had a goal differential of 51, plus 51 goals. Uh, second place had a goal differential of plus 12. So they won, they won by four games. Now, if you go and you look at, and you look back in their history, so the 2018-2019 season, um, they won the league with 91 points and a goal differential of plus 70. Second place um, was 75 points and a goal differential of plus 35. So they're blowing, blowing these teams away. So they're, just, they're scoring goals left and right. 2017-2018, um, they won by 13 points with a goal differential of plus 79. Um, and second place was a goal differential of plus 40. Now, the 2016-2017 season, Monaco won, but PSG was still in second place with 89 points. Um, the 2015-2016 season, they won by 31 points and a goal differential of 83. And second place was a goal differential of 24. Um, 2014-2015 season, they ended up winning the league by eight points, and they had a goal differential of 47. And second was 39. So um, I think that was actually a bit more of a competitive season. But as you can see, um, you know, the last few years hasn't really been competitive. 2013, 2014, they won by nine points with a goal differential of 61. And second place was 32. 2012 to 2013, they won by 12 points. And the goal differential was plus 46. And now second place was plus six. And honestly, that's probably more um, of strategic uh, play because they ended up only scoring a few more goals than what were scored against the, scored against them. But then the second highest goal differential from the 2012-2013 season was plus 28. So uh, anyway, um, one thing I think I should mention is goal differential is the it's a it's a balance of the the goals that are scored that you score uh, against the goals that are scored against you. So. Like I said, in um, the 2019-2020 season, uh, they scored, they had 50, a plus 51 goal differential, um, which means that they scored 51 more goals than were scored on them. Now, the real, the real one is the 2018-2019 season when they scored 91 points and ended up getting a plus 70 uh, goal differential. Actually, 2015-2016 uh, correction, 2015-2016, they won by 31 points. I think it was like 93 to 62 or something like that. It was something crazy, huge difference. And their goal differential was 83. So that's pretty huge. So anyway, it appears as though, you know, some success, um, 
has been due, at least in, from what I could find, um, some some of their success in the past was due to having uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Uh, since they did acquire him in 2012, and you know he left in 2016, and and honestly, some of their more recent uh, success is probably due to their uh, acquisition of Ed, Edinson Cavani, uh, Neymar, and Mbappe. Um, and Mbappe is uh, likely going to end up being the future of that team unless someone can uh, can sneak in and start and, and hand him a ton of money. But the reality of it is, is that PSG has been on this run for the last few years. And um, my whole point of making this, of saying all this, is mentioning the fact that PSG, uh, all these years in a row uh, that PSG has won the league, um, although you know it is it is impressive that they have won, it they haven't really done all that much on the international stage. Now, personally, I watch English and Spanish soccer, so I guess maybe I would end up being a little bit more on the. Uh, I would have maybe a little bit of a bias on this, but I personally don't think that the French league is as strong when you compare them to the English and the French or the Italian and the German leagues. Um, the rest of them are just better. When you don't play, um, when you don't end up having to play against a lot of really strong teams, if you're just blowing teams out, then you end up not getting better. Um, so that's something, in my opinion, that's what tells me that PSG themselves might be a strong team. They aren't all that strong on the international level. They're just so much further ahead of everyone else in the French League. And this is not to say that some of the teams in the French League aren't good, because I think currently PSG is, I mean, they blew out Barcelona, and PSG is currently, I think, fourth, um, third or fourth, I think at fourth in um, League One play. So it's definitely weird. This is a weird season for everybody. Um, I mean, West Ham United is uh, is near the top of the table in in the Premier League. They're above Liverpool right now. So it's definitely a weird position for some of these teams to be in. Uh, I think Juventus is also near the bottom of their table. Not the bottom, but they're I say you know near the bottom. They're they're like fourth in their table, which is definitely far from being number uh, far from being number one. Um, so anyway, I'll leave all that there. Um, I say all that, um, honestly, with with uh, with all this in mind, thinking that the French team is French league is not that competitive, knowing full well that the the French team did win this most recent World Cup. I just don't think that as a whole, their league is on the same level as some of the others, especially those big four that I mentioned of Italy, Germany. England and Spain. So, just something to think about. And you know, oh, and then the last match that was that happened over this past uh, Champions League. So there were four matches last week. And it was Sevilla uh, against um, Borussia Dortmund. And um, anybody who's watched uh, Dortmund play recently uh, or within the last year, you would have seen that they have this guy named I, I can't pronounce his first name, but his last name is Holland. Um, and he's this guy, he's 6'4", uh, he's super quick, and he's absolutely ridiculous to watch play. Um, and a lot of people have actually been um, comparing him recently to uh, Zlatan. So he'll be exciting to watch as, uh, as things go, and he's basically been unstoppable recently. So 
if uh, if any team can shut him down, then I think that uh, things will end up going pretty well for whoever that other team is. Although uh, that's not to discredit anybody else on Dortmund's team because they are uh, they are still a very strong team even if they don't have Holland playing. Coming up this week, we have uh, four more matches. Um, so we've got uh, Atletico Madrid, and then they're playing Chelsea. Uh, honestly, I think that uh, Atletico is going to win that game. And I would like to see Chelsea win um, because uh, if I was going to pick a team uh, in England that I was going to root for, it would be Chelsea. But I just think that um, Atletico's too strong for them. So I just think that that's that's what's going to end up happening. Chelsea will end up losing that game. addition, we have Lazio and Bayern Munich. And in this match, honestly, I think that Bayern Munich is going to end up winning. Uh, They're just too powerful of a team. They won the Champions League last year. They've got... uh, Robert Lewandowski and uh, you know the guy's just everywhere. He's he's a maniac. He'll end up he'll end up scoring a few goals in that game. I'm sure, probably two. Um, uh, and another one, Atalanta and Real Madrid. Even though Real Madrid hasn't necessarily had the best of of seasons, I still think that they're going to end up uh, pulling it out and in the end they'll win the game. They got they got a lot of talent on that team. They just need to uh, to utilize the talent the right way. And then the last game is, um, I'm probably going to end up pronouncing this one wrong, Mönchengladbach, or Bach. Um, it's a German team. They're playing Man City. Um, and honestly, I think what's going to end up happening is this is uh, this is the end for that other team. Man City will end up running away with this one. They are a very good team, and they are very strong. They got a lot of talent. They have a good goalie. And I just don't end up thinking anyone stands a chance to get a chance against them right now. If this was the Champions League final, Man City would be winning it. Um, or if they were going to play the Champions League final right now, I think I would I would probably end up picking Man City. They're just on a run. I actually do think that Man City will end up winning the Champions League final this year. Uh, I could be wrong, but I think what's going to end up happening is uh, Man City will, will make it to the end. One thing t- uh, to mention here is the fact that there are still no fans in these stadiums, and um, I don't necessarily think that there is going to be much of any like home field advantage that's going to factor in on any of these things. Um, I do think that these matches will be different um, if there were people that were allowed to be in the stands you know, realistically, it is different when you uh, when you have somebody there yelling for you and everything. So that's just something to to think about. Um, my next topic here is uh, Trump's impeachment trial, and honestly, this one's not going to be uh, something that I end up spending a lot of time talking about. The reality of it is, is that we all knew how this was going to end up going from the beginning. Um, I thought I knew that this was what was going to happen. Um, if you didn't have enough. Uh, senators, like the supermajority or whatever the hell it is, if you didn't have enough of them, it wasn't going to end up going well for the Democrats. So I kind of figured, and I didn't even pay attention to this because um, I only paid a little bit of attention. I shouldn't say I didn't pay any attention. I paid a little bit of attention to this because I figured what was going to end up happening. And I knew how people were going to vote uh, going in. Um, the reality of it was is that every single Democrat was going to end up voting to convict Trump. And I'm sure that I'm sure, I mean, in the beginning, I don't remember what it was I said, but I'm pretty sure I had said that they'll probably peel away a few 
uh, Republicans, some people that need to save face. But the reality of it was, is that that's how it was going to go from the very beginning. Um, you know, I understand why they want to do it. It's, I guess it's in an effort to try to keep Trump from serving in office again, but you know, realistically, is he even going to be able to, I mean, he's, he's old. Um, he may not even be alive by the, for the, you know, within the next four years. He's, I think he's in his late seventies. With that being said, if he is alive, he does still have a ton of support in his, uh, in his current base. So just something to remember there. Um, the results of this uh, of the trial ended up being um, 57 guilty and uh, 42 not guilty, which wasn't enough for the um, you know for the for them to actually convict him. And the breakdown of that was uh, all 48 Democrats ended up um, voting guilty. Plus, they peeled off seven Republicans and two independents. Now, the two independents weren't peeled off from anything. They all voted guilty. Then 43 Republicans ended up voting not guilty. Um, you know, like I said before, I figured that this was the direction it was going to go from the very beginning. Um, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. The increasing split of our elected representatives um, and their inability to work together is alarming, to say the least. We are headed down a path that we will not likely be able to save ourselves from uh, personally. That's what I think. Um, I don't know what the solution is, though. Uh, this partisan bullshit is, is hurting our democracy and keeping the government from actually making any kind of real change and, and real progress. So it's pretty ridiculous what we're watching here. Um, as you can see, some of the Republicans, uh, seven of them, I guess, yeah, seven of them, ended up uh, peeling away, and, and they needed to make some distance between themselves and, and everything that happened at the, at the Capitol because the reality of it was is that... that, that Anyone who is in opposition of Trump was trying to do everything that they could to lump everyone together with the group of people that stormed the Capitol. And the reality is, is that the majority of people that call themselves Republican or conservative have come out in opposition of the actions that those people made at the Capitol. Um, you know, but the reality of it is, is that that doesn't matter. Uh, you can come out and you can say that you disagreed with it. But no one's really going to care. Uh, Democrats are still going to do everything they can to label each and every person on the right, regardless of how far right you are, as the same kind of people that ended up storming the Capitol. If we continue down this path of left and right or uh, Dem and Republic, Democrat and Republican, um, you know, and you are you are guilty of the actions of all of the other people that are labeled themselves the same as you. And I'm talking about just if you're if you say that you're left, and then someone else who is also left goes and does something crazy. You can't just lump all those people together in the same category. Um, if we continue to do that, I see it coming to a bad conclusion eventually. It's not a good look for for everybody right now. At the end of the day, uh, Trump was acquitted, and honestly, I think that's how we all probably thought that this was going to go. From day one of his presidency, we knew it was going to be this way. The first impeachment trial was always like this. The House drafted the articles and passed them along to the Senate with little to no Republican support, which realistically means that it wasn't bipartisan. Then the Senate vote, voted uh, basically on party lines as not guilty, which means that it still wasn't bipartisan. Then the second impeachment gained a mild amount more support 
from the House because realistically, I think some Republicans needed to save face and they needed to have you know, maybe in a, a purple state or something like that, they needed to show that they were against that. They ended up peeling off and going voting for having the articles drafted up in the House. Then that got passed to the Senate, really still not very bipartisan. And then you ended up seeing it go straight to the Senate. And what ended up happening in the Senate, still not very bipartisan. Not, no, not a single Democrat voted not guilty. I think if you had had one Democrat vote not guilty, you could maybe make an argument. But you're going in with a deck stacked against you. I mean, it's the reality. Trump was going into this. Everyone knew, no matter what people said at that trial, it was not going to change the minds of a single Democrat. Not a single one of them would have changed their mind. It was it just wasn't going to happen. So, you know, was it irresponsible for Trump to use the language that he did? Yeah. But was it criminal? I, I don't really think so. Um, you know, you can't really hold somebody accountable for the, um, you know, the crazy conspiracy theories that their supporters end up coming up with. And it's a group of QAnon supporters that ended up thinking all this stuff something to think about i mean i think that this next um you know this next president is not likely going to end up having a target on his back the same way uh somebody did end up um drafting some impeachment um articles immediately but i think that those aren't going to end up going anywhere nothing's going to end up happening with those because the reality of it is is that democrats hold hold the house and they hold the senate so they're not going to end up having a majority to be able to pass things along. The reality of it all of all this stuff is the words that Trump used are really no different than those words used by a lot of the a lot of Democrats and stuff on a very regular basis. Um, many have said the ter- terms like "fight like hell," um, in which the defense team ended up showing a video of Democrats saying those exact words. You know, the reality of all this is is the House and the Senate has been focused so much on this impeachment trial that they really haven't had an opportunity to go and focus on any of the promises that were made during the campaign. And instead of trying to negotiate for their plans, uh, they have essentially left Joe Biden off over here to sit and fulfill those campaign promises that he made with executive orders. So we'll see where all that goes. Now, my last topic here is the recent Uh, hypocrisy and double standard that has popped up. Uh, Unless you've been living under a rock, one of the things that has happened this past week and has been on everyone's mind is Ted Cruz went to Cancun with his family in the midst of the Texas power outage. Um, In case you have been living under that rock, um, there has been a lot of cold weather that came into Texas and um, it's weather that they've never really seen before. Uh, Things started to freeze and you know, the fingers started to get pointed and everything like that. So conservatives started pointing their fingers at the wind turbines. Liberals started pointing their fingers at Cruz and the conservative policies. And the reality is, is that it's likely a combination of, well, all of them, all of their fault. Um, personally, I would not say that Cruz had anything to do with this. He is a federal representative. And other than lobbying for aid, um, you know, what what else is there really that he's going to end up doing? It's just not much that's going to end up happening there. Um, I think the responsibility of this is all up to the state uh, and local representatives, not the federal representatives. Um, you know, remember what people are saying here. Uh, 
you know, the government failed you, right? The government failed you. So let's try to fix that by giving the government more money, right? Is that how we're going to do it? We're going to give the government more power, more money, so that then they can come back in and try and fix the problem? That seems to be the solution that many people are looking for here. Um, I don't think that that's the solution. Um, I'm not a power person. I'm not a politician. I'm not any of those things. But I don't think that that is the solution. So I will say that that is, you know, is very hypocritical of, uh, of Ted Cruz to, to go down to Cancun. I don't think he should have. Um, I also don't think that he has any responsibility here. But it was a bad decision. And uh, I think being a politician for as long as he has, he had to have known that that was going to end up happening and he was going to end up having this bad blowback. So, you know, with this whole thing in Texas, it's the same as the COVID-19 response, right? Uh, People are really quick to blame everything on Trump when the reality of all of this is is that tons of records, there are tons and tons of representatives between Trump and the people that they have the responsibility to represent the people and they have the responsibility to make those decisions. You know, I honestly, I hold that same perspective with Joe Biden. I don't think that Joe Biden has to do anything with all this stuff down in Texas. Maybe throw a little bit of aid that way. But other than that, maybe he doesn't necessarily need to be involved. He doesn't need to go down there. Texas has representatives. You don't need the president to come down and micromanage any of this stuff. With all of that being said, all this stuff with with the COVID-19 response, all this stuff with all the, everything, all of these things, right? All of these things. One thing that I wanted to talk about was the way that people respond to all of this stuff. You know, and, and, and here's how laying the blame goes, right? In red states, when good things happen, it's because the people are doing things the right way. And when there's bad things, right, it's Trump or the governor's fault. Obviously, they don't have Trump to blame now, so they can just blame the governor. In a blue state, good things happen. It's the governor's good choices and leadership. And when bad things happen, it's still Trump's fault. So in that situation, the government, as in uh, the local representatives, are taking zero responsibility for any of the bad things that happen. If we look at this, the situation with New York, and we can see that perfectly. If something bad happens, Trump didn't give us support. If something good happened, Andrew Cuomo, greatest governor, greatest governor in the country, right? And that's the double standard. That's the double standard that we see pop in here, right? If you have a D after your name, then you are given a pass for any wrongdoing. And if you have an R after your name, then you're equal to the worst person in the world, right? Take the current situation with Gina Carano. Here is one other situation where there is a double standard, right? Gina Carano is a former former US, UFC fighter, and she is the actor that plays Cara Dune in The Mandalorian. Uh, recently, she has been under fire uh, from Disney and Lucasfilms because of a recent post that she made, I think it was on Instagram, um, and it was more of a culmination of, of posts and stuff that she has made that express conservative views. Um, and she ended up getting fired for this, which I'm not really a fan of. I don't think that she should have, um, but I'll go ahead and this is, this is the, the tweet, uh, not the tweet, but the, the thing that she posted on Instagram, 
Um, so she posted a picture, and it was a picture of a, an, uh, of a girl, a Jewish girl, running from Nazis, and had a comment below it that said, Jews were beaten in the streets, not by Nazi soldiers, but by their neighbors, even by children. Because history is edited, most people today don't realize that to get to the point where Nazi soldiers could easily round up thousands of Jews, the government first made their own neighbors hate them simply for being Jews. How is that any different from hating someone for their political views? So, she was fired for that. I guess that was the last straw. Um, People know that she leans right and believes some conservative values. Um, I don't think that she deserved to be fired for this. Uh, She's just expressing her beliefs, which is not really all that much different from a lot of people that do that online. So, And the reality of this is that it isn't even all that controversial. Um, When you take out the aspect of it coming from someone who is viewed as being conservative, you can read that statement and think, and when you think about it, it's just a statement that makes you think. It isn't something that makes you think about being conservative or liberal or Republican or Democrat. It just makes you think about the way that you treat your neighbors and treat the people that are around you when it comes to all this stuff. The crazy part about this is that there are plenty of other people in the public eye that have either said things that are considered anti-Semitic or have had Holocaust comparisons, and they're still working. Um, And I'll start with Gina Carano's co-star, Pedro Pascal. Uh, He posted an image of Jews um, during the Holocaust. So it was a picture of some Jewish people, and on that picture it said Germany 1944 on it. And then below there was a picture of... um, children behind bars and it had America 2018 on it. Now the funny thing is with the, those kids are actually from what I was able to find that that picture is actually Palestinian kids. You know, So he posted that. Nothing happened to Pedro Pascal. Um, SNL this past week made a joke about how Israel is only vaccinating the Jewish people. Um, Nick Cannon was actually fired for uh, saying that people without melanin are savages, but he was actually recently rehired by Viacom. Um, Ilhan Omar, she tweeted, it's all about the Benjamins, suggesting that Jews buy their influence with money. Uh, Deshaun Jackson made an Instagram post that was labeled as anti-Semitic. It had something to do with uh, Louis Farrakhan, I think. And then, realistically, there are plenty of comments out there of people being called Nazis, um, you know, somebody's calling somebody else a Nazi or something like that without, and realistically, you calling somebody a Nazi, you don't really understand. Now, most of these people don't understand the, um, the implication that they're actually making when they call someone a Nazi. They don't actually really know what a Nazi is. I mention all of these names, not to drag these people's names through the mud. Uh, that's certainly not my intention. I mention them to show the fact that there are a wide range of people that make comments that can be both taken out of context as well as mean exactly what the person meant. You know, one of the issues is when you end up having places like SNL making jokes and nothing happens to them, it displays that double standard. 
Um, I personally, I don't think that any of these people should end up getting canceled. I don't think that they end up, they should get fired. But I do think that it needs to be pointed out and that there needs to be a standard that is, that is put out that makes sense and is easy for people to follow, right? Now, people on the left will scream and they'll say, there is an easy standard. It's don't say, don't ha- have hate speech. But the reality is, is that hate speech is only defined by the people that determine what hate speech is. You know, it's defined by the individual. You know, I have a determination as to what my own hate speech is, as well as other people. There is no line. There is nothing that actually says what you can and can't say. You know, so, and that's the thing, is that there shouldn't be the, 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 the word police out here actually censoring things. Now, I do actually have um, one example of a, the real double standard um, happening, and uh, it's, it, in my opinion, it's pretty alarming. So anyway, um, this was from, so does anybody remember the Maxine Waters comment uh, she made about Trump when she said, and this is a quote, she said, uh, let's make sure we show up, and if you are, uh, if, if you see, some, see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd and you push back on them and you tell them they are not welcome anymore, anywhere. Well, the funny thing about that is, is that someone was doing a little trolling and changed the name, right? They changed the name from the Trump administration to the Cuomo administration and posted that. Then people online, they went absolutely crazy. They were saying that this was way too far and it took it was it was over the line that they shouldn't you know this was this was way too much. But the reality is is that that's the issue. Is that these were the same words. These were the same words that Maxine Waters, an elected representative from California, ended up using. Right? And that's the double standard that is present within our social communication where someone that has a D after their name can say whatever they want and it's all it's okay and when someone that has an R after their name says the same thing well it's a problem and then that person's going to end up getting canceled when you set the standard that when the person making the post is supporting one particular type of ideology you're fine with that and they're given the pass And then when the post is made by someone who supports a different ideology, they get canceled, and it's the same post, it displays the double standard. You know, I don't know where this path ultimately ends out, but I don't think it's going to end well for anybody that's involved in this. In closing, I am growing more and more disappointed with the direction that the culture in America is going. We seem to be looking too hard at ways to find differences between ourselves and calling each other out on those differences rather than coming together and talking about those differences. Where has the phrase agree to disagree gone? Um, You can't really do that anymore. If you don't agree with me, I guess I'll just retweet your post, twist its meaning, and get you fired from your job. What's the difference between a person online screaming about someone's tweet they don't like, and a Karen. People online are going to say things that you don't like. What do you really expect? It's the internet. It's Twitter. It's Facebook. People create accounts specifically to troll other people. 
The goal is to say things that piss other people off. My advice, my best advice for you is to close the computer, turn off your phone, and go for a walk. Enjoy the outside while you have the chance. Before you know it, days and months and years can go by, and eventually you realize that you spent far, far too much time worrying about a social media post that in the reality means absolutely nothing. That's all I have for today. Um, I'll be back here in a few days with another episode. And uh, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe.